So hey guys, welcome back to the Moringa School podcast. Um, this week we were joined by Tekwane and Julian, who are part of the team at Asilimia. Asilimia is a company which wants to eliminate the transaction fee in M-Pesa and other financial services. So tell a friend, tell a friend, and thank you for listening to our podcast this week and enjoy. Uh, hi guys, this is Eugene. Welcome to the Moringa podcast. So today we are joined by Tekwane and Julian from Asilimia. And they'll expand on what they do, yeah. Yeah, so welcome, um, guys. Maybe you can introduce yourselves. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Tekwane Mwendra. I'm the founder of Asilimia, where we strive to make Empassive free. Hello, uh, my name is Julian, uh, and I'm the CTO of Asilimia, and I try to make the Asilimia work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> Tekwane, so tell us a bit about yourself, maybe a bit of background, where you went to school, where you get your brilliance for starting Asilimia from. Wow, uh, so yes, it's always that um, description when you put on your LinkedIn, uh, when you talk about school and you talk about your education experience, you say you attended. So I attended Strathmore, meaning I dropped out. Mm. Uh, so basically, I have all the credit to give to my high school, and you know, most people don't talk about, don't talk about the primary school they went to. But there's a lot that I learned from there. I picked up a wang from my primary school, <laughs> um, and yeah, so. High school went to the Zono school in the middle of nowhere, so it was like a school of hard knocks, learned how to milk a cow, stayed with my grandma, and you know, just had a village life, right, where where you wake up on Monday, and Monday's like Friday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and everything is slow, and you have conversations with your cow and your goats, and, <laughs> and life is good, you know. Um, yeah, and then you come you come to Nairobi, you basically don't have the papers, you're not prepared for like the hustle and the bustle and the you know, uh, um and the and you don't have the um, what do you call them? Call them um the tools to success. So basically you don't have a degree, you don't have a diploma, you don't have a certificate, uh you don't have a a surname that counts, you don't have a little bit of money. So you become very sensitive to topics on money, right? Every time you spend a dime or a shilling, you're like Right. You know, uh, you're always trying to get the conductor to not um, charge you for your for your trip. You know, you're always trying to like get lunch at the cheapest price possible. Um, yeah, and then you use this thing called Mpesa, right? You know, you you basically every time you you pay rent for your. Uh, I remember I was paying rent for my single room, right? You know, self confused rooms where we all start from, or rather, I started from. And when you send that five thousand shillings, the guy calls you, he's like, boss, uh, I'm like, dude, what the hell? You know, like, I've just paid you 5,000 shillings, man. Sort yourself out. And, and that becomes an argument just because I didn't send the transaction fee money. And then, you know, you have situations where you're stuck in town, it's raining, uh, you want to go home and you just have 100 shillings on your Mpesa and you, you're trying to withdraw it and, and it keeps failing because you don't you don't have enough to pay for the transaction fee and and you keep doing it until the Mpesa agent is like, your boss, here's a hundred shillings, you just go home, man, you know, and mm. and you go through those things enough times that they really bother you because it, it doesn't go away, right, you know, um, and and yeah, and, and you know, I remember I was walking on uh, Marcus Gavi, right, you know, uh, during lunchtime, there's this place where I had to go buy uh, chips at a hundred bobs, so I'm just walking and, and, and I had a eureka moment, right, you know, it was like, 
oh shit, this is actually how I could stop paying for MPESA transaction. And, and it was more for me than anybody else, you know. And I, you know, I figured that, you know, I could I could build a whole platform on top of my uh, MPESA experience, right? So there's, there's all this data that is hidden on, you know, on your, there's, there's all these experiences that are on your MPESA transactions, right? It's either I'm sending my mom money or, you know, I'm trying to pay for lunch or I'm trying to like at home and you know there's like a lot of experiences right but they're stuck into this grey uh, no colour and pesa text and I was like this is useless right you know it is so useless not to like add colour or life to your to your life experiences so basically I I put two and two together, you know, I called this de developers like, yo, dude, um, can you build this, 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 and that? And I was like, yeah, sure, I can do it. Um, I, at that point, I had received some money for some small job I had done. Uh, I was late on rent, so that was the last day that I should have paid for rent or my house was going to get a padlock. Um, and... Yeah, and I was like, I really, really wanted the solution to be built. Like, I wanted it as soon as yesterday. And yeah, so I told the guy, I'm going to pay you in advance. Um, clearly, I, I, <laughs> I didn't. I, 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 I have not lived in Nairobi long enough not to know that you don't pay people in advance. Uh, but I really, really, uh, I was crazy about solving the problem. So I sent him all the money. Um, Plus my rent money, so like anything I had, um, and told him, "Yo, I need this in a week." It's like, yeah, sure. And I told him, "Man, I'm I'm, I'm gonna be sleeping uh, in K1, um, so please, please, please deliver this thing." And he was like, "Yeah, sure, sure, sure." So I went to the house, took a bag, put up a few clothes for like a week, left because the house was gonna be locked, and for sure it got locked, and for sure. So I went and saw my girlfriend at that time, and. She, she, so I was super excited about the idea. Like I was super excited about like I figured it out, and and she was like, "So what are you gonna do about your sleeping? Like I'm just gonna go to K1 and sleep, right?" You know. And she was so worried, and and, and that time she used to stay at YMCA, so she couldn't really help me out. But I was so happy, you know. I was I was, I was so happy about not going to pay Mpesa transactions fee ever again. So night time comes, I go to K1. It's the only place that is usually open 24 hours. Uh, and you know, I, I chill. You know, you just sit down. I have no money to buy soda or drinks, but I just chill. And I keep trying to doze off, and the bouncer keeps chasing me around. And it was such a long night, you know. And you know, I remember feeling so captive, you know, like because everybody would be leaving when they get tired. Me, I'm so tired, and and I'm cold, and you know, like it, it wasn't it wasn't gonna be an easy one, right? Because I don't drink, I'm not drunk, I'm not feeling the music. I just had a long day, and I did that for a week, and you know, it was was you know it was. I think for me, I was just too excited about, you know, getting this thing out. And the guy didn't deliver, you know, after one week, after two weeks, he didn't deliver. Um, and so that happened. He did the first prototype. It was kind of a, a shitty MVP, kind of worked a little bit. Uh, found other developers, same thing, you know, I think I, I gave them my tablets as a, as a way of payment. Uh, gave them my money, got another one, hired a team, didn't pay them all the salaries, paid them a little bit of money. And that's like the genesis of Asilimia. It's, it's, it's changed a lot over the years in terms of the product involvement, you know, what the first app looked 
looks very different from what the current application looks like. And yeah, so the inspiration came from being broke, you know, and um, mm. and being sensitive about, you know, a lot of people, when I talk to them about like making Mpesa free, because right now my circles are kind of different, but I'm still the same guy, I'm still broke. <laughs> I'm gonna give you my Mpesa um, a number, if you guys wanna like send me a few coins. Uh, they don't get it, you know, they don't get why Mpesa should be free, because they focus on the convenience. And, and, and for me, I, I basically say that, um, when you look at our country, 50% of the people are below the poverty line. The other 50 is supporting the 50 that is poor, right? Yeah. Because uh, our culture is not the same as the West where, you know, if you're born as, 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 as a sibling, it's all about your life and yours alone, right? Mm. For us, you know, you're your parents' investment, you're the retirement plan, you're the pension plan, right? Mm. You know, you have to get a job to support your parents, you have to get a job to support your brothers, you know, irrespective of what job you do, whether you're a house help, whether you're like a manager. And and money money means a lot to us, right? Money is not just money, you know. We and I feel bad, you know, I really feel bad when the one platform that handles that, you know, our money, you know, our money story, you know, if you took and, and that's why I say your yeah, and transactions say a lot. If you look at them, they're yeah. they're very meaningful, right? They're not just you paid for a buttered croissant or you it meant that for the first time you got a salary, so you're able to get your first pair of shoes, or you're able to get a, your first ticket. You know, you sent your mom money or, or your brother money because he told you, "Yo, um, I don't have you know money to eat, or I don't have tokens." You know, it it, it means a lot, right? And and to see the cost, you know, to see the cost of that. For me, I feel that Mpesa should be like a humanitarian or a utility that you use even for free. You know, it's like electricity and water. If you were to truly price water for the for the value it has, most of us would not afford it, right? If you were to, to price electricity for the true value, right? And that is why you see governments are the ones who do water, electricity, because if you, if you price it, you're going to price out a lot of people, right? Mm. So yeah, so that has been my mission because... Money means a lot, you know, money in this side of the world or, you know, in Nairobi, outside of Nairobi, it means a hell of a lot, right? And and if it's going to run through one platform, I think it's only fair for it not to be as priced as, as it is. It's for us to figure out new business models that, okay, I don't believe in... I don't believe in um, NGOs and you know uh, and charity because that's not sustainable, right? It only it only excites the people that you want to help for a minute, and and, and it's it's better not to excite people than to excite them for a minute and not really you know live up to uh, the expectations you have given them. But I feel technology uh, has evolved to the point that business new business models have an opportunity to. Thrive, right, and and when I talk about the reason why we can make money and we can make a lot of it, right, by making them pay payments free, is if you look at the genesis of payments, 
and, and digital payments for that matter, right? It was MasterCard, it was Visa, and they had two platforms, right? It ran on a card, right? A plastic card that uh, wasn't readable, wasn't usable, and that card needed an ugly Ingenico POS, you know, the, the swiping machine or an ATM. You know, you can't build on top of an Ingenico device. There's nothing you can do with it, right? And and when, when MasterCard issues out those two things, they have no control over them, right? Ingenico devices run on Linux. Um, the card is, is plastic. You know, uh, it has so many layers of security and encryption. So, you, as a business, you can just take and build something on top of it, right? And and what that means is the the the, the distributorship of Ingenico devices and smart uh, and, and 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 plastic cards or debit cards and credit cards, it could be a million, right? A million touch points out there. But today, Mastercard cannot access those a million touch points. They can't give you access to it because the devices are stupid, you know, the, the both the card and the Ingenco device. So there's nothing you can build on top of it, right? And they lost that real estate. That real estate is not usable to them, right? You have it's like you have houses all over the world, but you have you don't have the keys or the the the, the, the keys to access the house. You can't even rent them out, right? Mm. So but now how how payments have evolved, they work in an environment that is customizable, right? It's you can own that space, right? Because so basically, if you look at how M-Pesa works, it works on top of a smartphone or a feature phone or a USSD uh, platform. And, and what that means is if, if you have 40 million users using your payment, you have access to them. It's not lost real estate. It's not like 40 million credit cards out there. You don't have access to them, right? So what that means is, is you can basically move, first you move money. Second thing, you can move a, a real in real time a cow, right? Because you have access to that touch point. So so how we go about the question of how we make money is basically saying the the platform or the real estate that the payment ecosystem works in is accessible, right? We can give developers access to 40 million M-Pesa subscribers and say, what do you want to build tonight that you want to be accessed by 40 million users, right? And if you look at, to simulate this example is like that, the Apple hardware, the handset. When iPhone launched, it was just a handset, right? And when they distributed it all over the world or people bought it, because it was a usable real estate that had access to it, it was a, so it was a writable, readable, usable real estate. They launched iTunes, right? They broke the market, you know, they, they changed the game for musicians and publishers, right? Because they had hardware, there wasn't an Ingenico device. They could easily customize the experience. You know, Android, the same thing, right? You have Play Store, you know, where they tell you you'll have you'll be accessed by a million or, or, or billions of users across the board. So payments is the next platform. Payments is the next environment. It's the next iPhone. It's the next, you know, Android. So we are at the forefront of saying we need to figure out not the customer. So that it's not the customer's priority to figure out where we make money. It is for us to provide the same convenience and ease of use of digital payments. But because the era has changed, the technology has changed, the platform has changed, we cannot have the same pricing models as MasterCard or Visa had when when they were using this ugly Linux devices. So that is the, 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 the genesis of Aslamia. And why do you think people are still using um, a service like M-Pesa when Tcash is free, Airtel is free? 
Yeah, why why can't they just switch to these other platforms? Um, these, so you know, you'd um, when you talk about like uh, customer stickability, there's what you call network effect, right? Mm -hmm. So network effect is my mother is on Mpesa, my cousin is on Mpesa. Mm -hmm. If I get strand, I get stranded in the middle of nowhere, and I call Julia, and I'm like, "Yo, dude, can you bail me out?" He's like, "Yeah, sure. How do I do it?" I'm like, "Yeah, just put money on Mpesa, send it to me. I'll find an agent." So, Mpesa currently has a network effect where you know you're guaranteed that if your money's on Mpesa, you can access it, you can use it, you can spend it. So that is why Tcash doesn't have a network effect. I have to figure out if my friends are on Tcash, right? Or my friends are on Airtel. So it's it's a forced, you know, it's a forced relationship. You know, you're you're stuck in the relationship because you guys have a pet together, right? You can't decide who takes the chihuahua. <laughs> so and Julian, um, mm. what can you say um, made you want to work under Asilimia? Uh, and yeah. what do you do for Asilimia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm the uh, CTO of Asilimia. I make the trains run on time um, over there. Uh, in terms of like what kind of really drew me to the experience, um, I think that... We, uh, so in well, in uh, the United States where I'm from, uh, we have like a I guess a similar type feature where like we really started around like college kids and how like when we go to a restaurant and then you have to, have to have to like split the bill. We have like this we have like two kind of main like financial tech or financial um, apps that we kind of use. One is called Venmo, the other is Cash App, and like we like that's it, that is such a convenience for us and we. we do do it and send everything around and more or less discovering that there is a, a mobile infrastructure in Kenya, because not gonna lie, I had a lot of preconceived Western notions about Africa writ large. I'm unlearning them slowly, slowly, I'm unlearning them. Um, but like seeing that there's a mobile infrastructure that is here that can that can be used and that there is a that there is a service which more or less does the exact same thing that Venmo and Cash App do, but but in the United States it's totally free. Like we never pay anything for it. Um, and then to come here and realize that they have this, they have the infrastructure, they have the system. And the only thing that's keeping it from becoming more utilized is that you is that it's too expensive. Like I was like, well, that's not okay. That's that's not right. Um, that's something that we take for granted when we have a lot more disposable income is free. And on the other hand, people who have less disposable income on average they have to pay for it. That does that is wrong <laughs> to me. Um, so that's kind of is what drew me uh, to work want to work for Aslami and kind of put my whole hat in the ring to do it. So one thing I'd like to find out is what challenges have you faced? As in, are there any barriers to entry that you have encountered, especially from other players in the market or even from Safaricom? Yeah. Okay. Um, so when we talk about barriers of entry, so I think they have been more internal than external, right? So externally, uh, a lot of things have changed over the years, you know, uh, where CAK, uh, the, gov uh, the Communication you know, Association of, of Kenya, or like Commission of Kenya, uh, have, have, have set the precedence where, you know, monopolistic tendencies are not being applied, where you can't have access to M-Pesa APIs or T-Cash APIs and, you know, even Interpro. Inter 
the interoperability. 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 The Kamba in me cannot pronounce that word. Um, so uh, basically, that has led to like a lot of a lot of things have changed over the over the years that ensure that you know any company, any small startup can kind of get into the payment space. Um, the other thing is also the the infrastructure has changed, right? You know, you have a lot more smartphones now than you had before. Uh, the only issue we have is we are a company for scale, right? You know, from from the get go, you know, from the get go, it's been like complex to build what you're trying to build. So the challenge of hard is getting engineers. We're an engineer first company, right? We we barely hire salespeople or you know uh, business dev guys. Uh, we are 100% tech. And that means that we need engineers, right? And 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 that is has been difficult because the clients, the clients that we have, or the people that hire in Kenya, have set a, a, a precedence that is not so good because they expect less from the developers, right? And you know, so when you come in and say you're building this complex things, uh, you you look unattractive to a developer who's used to doing, you know, basics, you know, providing templates, providing, you know, single server products or single service um, applications. And you come in and say your application needs to access, you know, the server every two seconds. There is like updates to uh, 2,000 touch points. So then at that point, you're like, ah, damn it, you know, uh, you're building in the wrong environment. Uh, so yes, yeah, so for me, the challenge has been more for the engineers, uh, getting engineers that are ready to be challenged because our environment is challenging. He gets challenged by USSD. My last, uh, my last uh, fellow was from um, Brown University. She's like an AI. You know, she doesn't even do iOS. It's so like yesterday. She's like, uh. But when she came to do to build on USSD, she's like, "What the hell is this thing?" Right? Uh, and she was humbled. You know, she was completely humbled. Um, so yeah. So that we have technical challenges of getting a team that understands what it is we're trying to like marry together. Um, so yeah, so I'd say the challenge is, is talent and more on the engineering front than uh, any other thing. So no regulatory challenges or anything of that sort? Regulation, you know, everybody keeps, you know, hating this thing called regulation. You know, when you're trying to be disruptive, the first thing you want to hate is regulation, right? Regulation is good, you know, it, 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 puts, it puts the market in check. Um, and then it tells you what not to do and what to do, right? Regulation is just taking your time and sitting down and reading it, right? And knowing how far you can go and how far you can't go, you know? And and in the fintech space, everybody wants to make um, regulation this evil person that wants to stop us from, you know, innovating and disrupting. And I feel that regulation is good because uh, it controls the market. You know, you shouldn't have one million people just breaking the rules and and you know taking advantage of the consumers mm -hmm. I do hate the regulation on data protection when it comes to bank data so mm -hmm. that is a one data uh, one policy or regulation that I have an issue with where even the customer is not allowed to access their own data so they cannot opt in to give you their data mm -hmm. on payments um, it is very clear uh, what you can do and not do so basically to be a national payments uh, system you need to be regulated 
regulated differently, uh, to be a wallet that takes in um, deposits the minute you start uh, taking deposits. Uh, CBK has uh, starts looking at you, and for us, we've just basically been saying we're just a ledger. We we don't have you store money with us. We only access your money in real time when you need to move it to somebody else and pass a wallet. So we just we try to be within the context uh, of the law. We do know at some point we are we're gonna have to have like a very hard conversation with the regulators and say, okay, mm. this is what's going on and this is what has happened and and how do we work together to ensure that we can still legally exist mm -hmm. in the context so regulation for now we haven't yet faced it and we are aware of it uh, one of our team members is a ninja lawyer you know we have a uh, we had to have a lawyer on board because we are going if if and when things start you know causing ripples mm -hmm. uh, that is when the law starts looking at you you know mm -hmm. and or other people use law regulation against you. Yeah. Is Asilimia only in Kenya and it, it's somewhere else? Mm -hmm. Are the regulatory issues the same or the different? I think so 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 we've we've been I've been very keen to set up shop in Uganda or Ghana where Kenya is a very mature market okay Nairobi is a very mature market let me let me not because uh, it's very different when you come out of Nairobi mm. I've been very very interested to go to Uganda because the the tax issue really hit the the usage it, those are like a 60% 70% drop uh, and again regulation is for payments is very clear right you get into the market uh, there's already existing payment players. There's already existing digital payment players. So what you have to do is either collaborate or just do as they uh, as they they currently doing. Because if you look at Nigeria, if you look at South Africa, the reason why M-Pesa hasn't worked in those two markets is because of regulation, right? So if you're a teleco in Nigeria or South Africa, you have to be a bank. So you have to get a bank bank license and you have to pay bank fees, and and that becomes really expensive, and you don't want to be a bank as well. So for us, our our play is very different. Uh, we we just aggregate the existing digital payment platforms. So it's just a switch. So we come in, we are a platform. Uh, what you use, you use a MasterCard in Uganda, or use Visa, or use MTN. We just make those, we make that ecosystem work with each other. So we don't talk about remittances, uh, international remittances. We, we call it inter um, country-based remittance, right? We want to ensure that you can send MTN money to Tigo, to Airtel. So our, our play is very different. So we feel that in terms of like switching up the model in different countries, it won't be as complex. So Julian, what type of engineer are you? Uh, yeah, so I am a, ooh, mm, let's, let, mm, <laughs> let's see. Uh, so technically by training, um, I'm actually a robotics and mechatronics, um, a computer science engineer. Um, and although now I've been, let's see, at SLMIA, because we are very much a startup and very much a startup in the ways that everything that has to be done, um, I more or less have to do. So, uh, I, I don't know. I guess I'm a I'm a web. I've been doing web things. I've been doing USSD things. I also work in Android. I also work on the back end um, with mainly Python type things. Um, our server is set up using a Flask framework, and um, on and on and on and on. 
on. So I've been doing a lot of things. So I, I'm, so I guess I'm a ba- I am a back end. I'm a full stack. I'm a full stack engineer. That's yeah. the easiest way to put it. <laughs> and what got you? What got you interested in like solving problems? Do you remember the first time you tried to figure out a solution to a problem, and then you solved it, or like what, what got you interested in being an engineer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, let's see. So um, like I said, so my main kind of what drew me to computer science was robotics, um, and I can remember specifically robotics, what got me into robotics back in the day was um, actually the movie iRobot. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Will Smith. Smith. Yes, yeah. um, 7th grade, 2007. I went to go, that was the first movie I think I ever went to where I went to the theaters multiple times yeah. to see it. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, I, you know, I want to do this. Like, this is cool. I want to make something like this. Let's go. Uh, I more or less was like, okay, so they like, you can do this in college. I was like, okay, cool. And they were like, okay, where can I do this in college? And they were like, oh, you can go to these different places. And I, you know, applied to these different places and then eventually I started going to Stanford yeah. um, which is really cool and when I was there like I guess to learn any kind of computer science type things you have to kind of go through our um, like the our computer science type classes mm-hmm. and um, one the one thing about Stanford now is because I guess we're like in the middle of Silicon Valley and so like computer science is it's a lot of people go there and it's low-key kind of our specialty in terms of doing things mm-hmm. um, and so like once and I the one thing that I really love about our program is that I think we're very we're we are pretty accessible when it comes to going from I just know how to turn the computer on to being able to do like an actual real project which mm-hmm. I think is really cool because one of my friends she came to Stanford and she mm-hmm. was like oh I'm like she was like very dead set on being a lawyer and like I'm gonna do a lawyer thing and we're just you know gonna do that and she came and took our first computer science class and she was like, oh, switched the next day. And like at the end when she graduated, then she like went on and like founded a startup for like two years and like did all kind of great things. Um, and so like she was, she literally went from like, I've never coded a day in my life until she got to college to having an actual startup um, like over the course of like four years, which I think is like really cool. Mm-hmm. So, but like for me, I think it's, it's more once you start to like see how, once I started to see how things work and how coding works and as mystifying as it is at times it is at at, at a certain point in time like it's actually pretty simple when you what you're trying to do mm-hmm. um and like so once you kind of be like oh well, this is hard once you once you can see and know how the magic works you i then start you begin to notice that it's all like ah oh, this website is like messed up and i know exactly what's wrong with it too yeah. um and like you just want to go out and like fix it and like change things mm-hmm. um and that kind of and that just has always been like a if you just if you just had to tweak it just a little bit like I know that like you just have to set up a for loop and it's yeah. done um, like it like that uh, that kind of has always been my thing and so it's kind of like for, for me it's kind of like you since I do that so often um, it's kind of like okay like what's what is the most highest thing on my to-do list now so like okay well you know today we're gonna you know make this mobile money thing work and then after that we'll go and like fix that website that I saw back in 2002 and we're, we're gonna keep it going <laughs> yeah 
So yeah. So I have two questions. Yes. Uh, one for you. One for you. Uh, so te tekwame. Tekwane. Get the name right. That's so. That's so wrong. <laughs> and so coming to this podcast, um, uh, one of the things that you've mentioned is the difficulty that you have in finding engineers. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you what, uh, how do you exactly go about the hiring process? Do what you do is so different from what actually most developers are trained to do. Mm -hmm. Like you're talking about uh, developers come here and they have all these awesome skills with AI machine learning, mm -hmm. but they come here and they say like, wow, I'm supposed to work with USSD mm -hmm. from beginning to end. Like, So how do you go about finding developers that you think can adapt to this, uh, this sort of uh, engineering uh, platform that you guys are working on? Yeah, um, is there really a process? Because uh, <laughs> HR is the most uh, neglected department in our company, so yeah. um, until... So you, so finding engineers is very difficult, right? Before you figure out uh, which forum to speak at, uh, where to send the CVs out to, you, so f I used to use a lot of like word of mouth, like my last, uh, my, la my last big team, I met someone through a different social event and she told me what she does and I was like, do you have friends who are looking for jobs? Are you looking for a job? And ended up having like five people from the same school mm. uh, or class join the team. So that worked very well. So I ended up trying to start working with people who already have a chemistry, they know each other. Um, and then I started developing a bias for JQRT. So I found uh, engineers there are quite good. Uh, and then I couldn't afford engineers. So I was like, I need free talent. <laughs> and as such, we uh, did this program together with my last um, last employee where we created like a fellowship program where we were getting guys uh, where how we found Alan, how we found someone else from Brown, how we found someone else from MIT. Because mm. you find... Um, we, we tend to argue on this uh, quite a bit in terms of what attracts international um, international talent. Mm. Uh, some of them it's the challenge. Some of them it's uh, it's the weather. It's the you know it's the elephants. Um, you know um, and such that willing. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 some of them are willing to like you know uh, leave uh, the states or mm. where they're from for like a minute to just come and you know enjoy the weather and work as well so that that works well for us because and then we become patient when they don't understand USSD you're like okay you're not on my pay bill right you're not on my payroll so mm. so I could be a little bit patient um, and then what you do is you match you match the talent with a local uh, with a local software engineer who understands USSD and what it is all about and and that helps the the, the, the that helps the the upping of the skills mm. um, yeah so finding talent is like right now we're trying to use a headhunter because you don't know where the talent is it's it's fine it's past you know it's mm -hmm. you 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 because most of the time we're working right it's it's very hard to like come up with like a hiring strategy right you know we, we try a lot to to do that uh, but it's 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 very difficult and 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 this year our strategy to attract talent is we're going to go on a, on a very um 
big PR campaign to to just let people know what we're doing so that uh, it becomes a pull, not a push. Mm. So, because talent should find you. It's, that's usually when it's easier. When, you know, when you're about to graduate, when you're about to finish your programs, uh, you're going to go online and look at, you know, who's doing this in this space, who's doing this in that space. So I feel uh, it's been slightly difficult to get talent because of our lack of attention to talking about what we do and just being busy, busy doing real work. So now we have to do unreal work for a minute so that we can get people to help us with the real work. Oh, yeah. Uh, so my other question, I feel like you've answered it a little bit. I was about to ask him mm-hmm. about, I, I, you, 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 since you're the one who sort of leads the team the, in, the, in terms of the technical aspects. In there. So when you get this developer that's not very familiar with, do you have sort of a training program or how do you assimilate them to understand what exactly that you guys are doing? Uh, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say that it's like a, I guess like a, not a formal training program. I guess it's more so like hmm, let's see as somebody who was relatively new to the code base mm-hmm. um, and who I guess would have to teach somebody else the code base it's more it's more so um, like having it to where if someone is willing to learn like how, how like everything that we do in computer science like there's this pretty uh, they're like certain fundamentals, right? And if you got those, like you're good to go and learning most everything and like yes, wading yes, through yes, most everything. And so I guess really, I would say that one of the biggest problems is like just finding people who are like, I can learn something new instead of being like, well, I've never heard of this Docker application, so I don't know, or I've, only, I've heard of it, but I've never used it, so I don't feel confident going after it. It's like, well, no, I can teach you how to do a Docker. It's not, I mean, as long as you, I mean, we're just making sure that you know how to like, you know, break down code and yeah. <laughs> um, write certain loops. like. It, then we're we're more or less fine um, because as somebody who like I was new at USSD never done it before and I was like oh okay but then you know you spend some time looking at it and it's like oh okay I got it to work like it's you know more or less mm-hmm. fine mm-hmm. Um, so I guess really the main thing I say is having the confidence to be able to say okay I can learn something new because we are I mean I'm incredibly patient on teaching people new things mm-hmm. um, if it's not like if it's not I have like three years experience with this thing no that's totally fine we can also teach you it's not a problem yeah that's, that's good to know because the reason I was asking these questions is because I saw a, a, a tweet by Melissa the other day. It, it was a retweet actually. Where this person was talking about how uh, you'll never find a job that fits your description. Mm-hmm. And I feel like uh, yeah, developers and rather almost everyone, but mostly developers, that's something that holds people back a lot in terms of you look at a JD and you'll be like, no, this job description is way out of my league. And it's probably you're missing just maybe one framework that you don't mm-hmm. understand. So right. that's why I was asking this question so that for listeners will probably be looking at Asilimia and be like, uh, no, these guys are way out of my league. They mm-hmm. just wanted to see if there is sort of a, a general understanding of what exactly that you do and if or not they should be afraid to sort of come forward and try to see if it's something that they can work with. Yes. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's why I was asking this odd HR yeah. questions. Yeah. And actually, just like in mm-hmm. terms of your hiring strategy or the type of team that you're trying to build, um, you know, what, what are you looking for in terms of someone who works for Asilimia, whether they are an engineer or someone in business or what exactly is required, I guess? We look for crazy people, so... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think one of the things I used to tell guys is, first I look for a person who can, like, copy-paste code, right? Mm. Where you... 
he said you have the will it last to learn because as you guys have said there's never a perfect part, uh, match right so first we look at and the reason I was taking like people from our whole classes uh, is to build a culture first of all of friendship are you a friendly person do, you, uh, do people like you do you talk to them you know do you create because Asilimia is a marathon right you know if you're gonna run a marathon you need your um, the person you're running with to be somebody you can stand right somebody you can talk to you know because the the problem you're solving is 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 really really difficult and what that means is going to be like very very difficult times right and 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 during those difficult times it's not the engineering skills that says you it's it's your stamina it's your you know your 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 your, your temperaments it's it's your passion and love for what you're doing it's, it's 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 what you think about the person you work with you know um so so we so over and above the skill set you know and and for me the skill is basically do you understand what we are trying to achieve and then do you know how to cook up a solution for that right mm. um, so yeah so that's so we just look for people who are likable hardworking in terms of they can keep doing the same thing over and over again I I myself has no qualifications that has me doing what I'm doing right but the thing that I have is I can stay up late reading one concept like a thousand times right until I understand it and, and as such I look for such people I don't look for people with because um, as, as you know not to take a hit on you know Ivy League uh, <laughs> Ivy League uh, graduates but you know sometimes they get humbled you know and and, 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 they become, Ivy League. <laughs> and and they become redundant you know and and, and 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 you know sometimes you waste three months of onboarding you know and then you have another three months for them to get anything done so you know um, and and I've told the guys where I, I, I hire and they come with new software development you know uh, best practices this should use this uh, this app you should use that one you should do this you should like do a week of this thing and and, and I tell them uh, this sounds all good and nice but we might not survive we not, might not be alive tomorrow so could we do the bare minimum which could be you know PHP could we build you know could we build a system on PHP and they tell you no 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 it's way backward you know, it's, it's not the future you know Facebook is using this and Netflix is using that and I'm like yeah this is Africa you know it's uh, what works here is, is very different you know I remember there's a time I used to think it's Ionic mm-hmm. you know there's there like so much buzz around it right and then they stopped supporting I think Android version 5 or 4 or and that was like 90% of the smartphones in the market right you know how do I use that you know if, if they've said you're not supporting the 90% of the infrastructure that I'm building for so you find that um, I have really I have learned uh, not to be too too demanding of my engineers not to want to be too future facing you know where I say what works here what works now you know because I feel that Africa based on how we develop and the environments we develop in the code we use we could set the standards everywhere else because we deal with very interesting infrastructure you know the, the, the smartphones we all talk about that are in the market are not smartphones when it's I wish I wish Kenya was an iPhone first market where you just read one 
documentation and mm. you know that's going to be the environment you're building in and mm. you know the expectations here you're building for techno infinix god knows some other generic brand that yeah. the mm. android because the android environment is messed up because it's open source google allows uh, smartphone manufacturers to doctorate uh, based on their interest so they break your code a hundred times uh, over so the experience is very difficult so for what i just look for guys who are like really have the grit they really have the stamina you know and they're able to go go back to the basics and start again from zero because what you're doing is made redundant overnight right now there's a crisis android has decided they're not gonna you know allow all apps to read sms's right mm-hmm. you know uh, a lot of companies uh, startups are you know fighting a fire they're like how how the hell do we continue being in business you know and and the, the core thing that we build on top of is, is not accessible so at that point you need engineers who sit back and say we still need to continue running and we still need x so how do we customize our solution how do we change our game plan and still get the problem solved so um maybe you can tell us we haven't even talked about how asilimia works so how does asilimia work Oh, I didn't. Uh, so, Asilimia is very simple. So, we have an Android application. You download it. Uh, you go through the usual uh, registration process. That will change. Uh, we use Google and Facebook to register your account. After that, we never ask you for your PIN or your name and so forth. And when you want to send money, we just ask you one question. What's the number you're sending money to and what's the amount? Uh, then basically after that, we push you to uh, M-Pesa's infrastructure. You give them your M-Pesa PIN. The money comes from your M-Pesa account and we transfer that to, you, to the other person. So it's pretty basic and pretty simple. Um, but a lot of those things are going to change at the end of the month where um, M-Pesa, sorry, Slimia accounts will become bank accounts and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we're not really sure how that's going to work out. But currently, what's, what is about high it works is we are trying to make it simpler so the the new app is going to be no splash screen and the first thing you see is how much you want to send and to who you're sending to uh we're trying to okay we're not trying to simulate mpesa because there's just too many steps to send in money in a person but we're trying to like cut down the the time in between i want to send money and the money is gone mm. yeah so another question i have you mentioned something about uh, Money as a, as a platform. Something you mentioned something about money as a platform. Something you dashboard. No, 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 no. You are talking about uh, transactions. About uh, what was it? Uh, um, it was about. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, yes, a lot of <laughs> So I'm trying, I'm trying to find a way to piece it together. Mm-hmm. But generally, my, my question is, there was a time we were talking with a friend, and he mentioned, he asked, why hasn't M-Pesa basically opened up the system mm-hmm. and made it a platform on which people can build like other tools and services mm-hmm. to make it to, to, to provide to the, to the market? Mm-hmm. So my question is, actually, first of all, what do you think about that? And 
is it something that Asilimia would be willing to to take on in the future, or do you see viability in something of that sort? Yeah. But they've already done that, you know. They've done uh, that. CBA, I'm sure, is mm-hmm. using M-Pesa as a platform. Mm-hmm. Right? Fuliza is being backed by CBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, KCB, I'm sure, is mm-hmm. the same thing. So they have opened up. They are using the, and it's basically the same toolkit. And mm-hmm. the new mobile application, they have it as a, as a, they have it as a, as a platform, right? But they can't do it as fast and as quickly as the market wants it because uh-huh. of one regulation or you know how Mpesa is controlled, who you can work with, who you can't. Uh, the other issue is these Mpesa is licensed by you know Vodafone. So yeah, that is like a whole pricing issue. How would we price it? What are we What are we really selling? What are we charging for? Mm-hmm. Um, and Asilimia is actually the we're not we're not being disruptive and new. Uh, we'll be just going ahead of the ecosystem players, which is Faricom, Tcash, and finding um, finding the business case for it, finding the pricing uh, model for it, and then finding the consumers for it. So basically, that is what we want to do. We're basically saying, how do you democratize 40 million subs- uh, M-Pesa subscribers to like a small business? Mm-hmm. So it's not about big businesses becoming bigger. It's about you're a small business, you want the scale of Safaricom, but you, you, you don't have the negotiating power, right? So we just want to find Find a way of just quickly getting that to market as the discussions continue. There will be a time and place, I think, that you know they will shift from because Mpesa is the uh, the predominant um, the predominant strategy has been on financial services, so that's what they've been like kind of incorporating into the environment. They did try to do the Ponga app, which I don't know what's going on with that, but. So yeah, so that's our uh, that's our game plan. So first to market, uh, first to you know go through the pain points of realizing maybe there's no money to be made and nobody really cares about it. Uh, but we're just setting the conversation and actually doing it in real time. So we are that is our strategy where we're gonna have one API that gives you access to 40 million mobile money subscribers and then you can build out whatever software apps service uh, you're interested in. Okay, another thing is you mentioned Asilimia being a marathon so this is just a general question as what do, what do you think are some of the traits that an, an entrepreneur will need to build something for the long term with a long-term vision in mind um, if you guys watch sports right, you know sports sports is very interesting uh, I don't watch sports but uh, <laughs> I was told by someone who saw sports <laughs> The, or, or I usually watch the highlights. Uh, you watch a game, uh, two teams are playing, one is down by quite a big margin, and you know you're you're done. You know you're you're hoping to change your bets. You know you're trying to like kind of you're kind of calling it quits, right? And all of a sudden the game turns around and the odds are changed, right? And and the teams that tend to do that are the teams that have that stamina of handling disappointments, mm. where you're like uh, you've been bit three zero you just have only like 10 20 minutes before the game is done 
because what happens in this situation even your your support team stops supporting you right mm. you even switch to other channels you're like this is done <laughs> yeah so yeah. victor would you like to <laughs> say something about chelsea yeah. so no, chelsea fun right now it's rough so yeah yeah and so those are the traits you have to be a sportsman you know you have to be a mm. sportsman who cheers himself from in, from within because if you if you cheer yourself from the scores you're having and whether the supporters are still you know clapping and and, and shouting you can't build a business right uh, and, and and I like uh, Muhammad Ali is one of my um uh icons where he used to say he wasn't the best fighter in the room he was uh, he was only the uh, he, he could take more hits than his opponent right mm-hmm. so he always wore his his opponents out because they would punch him and he could take the punches and take the punches and take the punches to the point sometimes he won by just the time like lapsing out right mm-hmm. so as an entrepreneur you have to be able to like take the hits you know it's you just have to ha- you just don't become the it's not about like having like signature moves and you know being really good at hitting people it's you have to be good at being hit you know and you take that hit and you take it and then at some point you give it back right mm-hmm. so that's the, the that's the only trait you can have yeah talking about hits <laughs> there is one that's usually quite powerful mm-hmm. and that's finance mm-hmm. like when you're running a startup and you face this hit that is lack of funding mm-hmm. and you still have to stay afloat mm-hmm. like have you have you encountered such a situation and if you have like how did you go about it you know mm-hmm. like you still have debts on the payroll you still have uh, the rents to pay you still have this all these systems to manage but you're really really uh, low on finance like how do you go about that situation I think you you stop valuing money, right? Because you don't have it. You know, that, that, that is never going to be... If, if you realize your unique selling proposition or your advantage point, mm. it's never going to be money. Then you stop thinking about it. You know, you... You, you you create a, um, a lifestyle or a life of not needing to spend money, right? You, you, you know, a lot of people ask, how does Taekwondo, you know, uh, people ask my friends, like, how does Taekwondo survive, you know? He's, 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 he's driving this thing, you know, uh, uh, this is my full-time job. I yeah. wake up, I leave Breeze, uh, Salimir, um, kind of annoy investors, so they don't want to give me money. Um, <laughs> it's you 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 learn how to to not make money the issue yeah. you know money is a means to an end right it's not the end right so you yeah. you come up with strategies of having guys like Julian coming in to work for you for free um, you you rent out your room and somebody pays you money to do something else with that money um, you you know you live within walking distance of where you you have to work I know it's not an option to a lot of people but you kind of have somebody pay your room so you actually live in the sitting room so you walk from the sitting room to you where you work so it's not necessarily you stay in the whole house um, and you just really create a lifestyle you know you really really make your life be a life that is not based on money because it is not your selling proposition that, that is not your unique advantage point so if you know you can't call on money when you have a problem yeah. you stop thinking about it right so yeah. you start thinking about other solutions when you have problems because the company because as I said it's a marathon man you know and 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 every time you know I tell guys um the company has seen a lot of people come through it you know and and I'm always the one who's left behind and when they come in I tell them you know there's no option 
there's really really no option than getting this done like there's no i don't see an alternative i don't see a plan b you know i i, I just see this uh happening you know whether whether it will be me to do it or somebody else if, if impressive becomes free tomorrow you know then that's when we're done right mm. so i have to rely on an inexhaustible resource money is an exhaustible resource it, it gets exhausted it gets finished mm. so yeah so you just figure out how to um you know i i, I tell the story and um yeah so once upon a time you know and um you sit down, you're budgeting for the company, you're, you're thinking where the, where the money is going to come from. And those, um, I used to have friends who used to get, you know, sugar mummies and, you know, <laughs> and their lifestyle was paid for. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and I put it on my business plan. On, uh, <laughs> where to get money, you know, it's, you know. Uh, Investment options. Exactly. Uh, capital raise, you know, mm. the company needs money. And, 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 and as I've told you, there's no option, right? You know, your company needs to stay alive. You right. need to pay for stuff. And then I tried. And then, you know, I, I, I came up with a whole Walk us you through know. the steps. Because <laughs> um, it, it was a business problem, right? So when you have a business problem, you come up with a strategy, right? Yeah. You know, I remember I, I set up meetings with all the C-suit women, you know, like in, in Samsa, like <laughs> in LG, in Safaricom. You know, you, you, you literally go at it like a, like a day in the office because you're like, how do I acquire these people? They have to have a disposable income of X amount of money. <laughs> and I had my first meetings, you know, and, you know, it was, you know, you have to have your first date. It's like an interview. And I, I came there for a reason, right? So there was no way I was going to mince my words, right? I was like, okay, um, so-and-so, and this is my reason for us being here. And let's not lie to each other, right? There's no me seeing you and falling in love, and there's no you seeing me and falling in love. And my expectations are this, right? You know, I have a business, and, and I literally is like, there's a business that needs capital, and needs this amount of money. And, you know, there's your expectations, and, you know, and, and they didn't take that conversation very well. You know, it was, um, I was too frank, you know, and then I said, I don't want to waste your time and I don't want you to waste my time where you realize after a month or three months, there's a business that needed funding, right? Mm. And that didn't work out. So basically back to the drawing table, you know, because one, I was too vocal and, you know, I didn't play the role very well. You know, I, I didn't understand that the, there's, you know, there's criteria and, 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 and so, when, when, when you've done so many things to, you know, when you've done so many things to raise capital and you realize it doesn't work like magic, right? You know, even even the easiest ones that you maybe thought was going to be easy, right? Yeah. Then you, you just you just basically build the business. You you find you know um, ways of surviving without the capital, you know. Uh, so so that's because because money will come right you know money is not the problem right there's this glow if you've and I, and I keep saying this word I've if you have to be what you call locally aware but globally relevant right yeah. mm. if you talk about the capital that is currently accessible in Kenya it's limited right, right. And, and it comes with biases right I can't access it but if you talk about global uh, global resources then your your chances of actually getting money to like you know turn things around are easier if you've, and I keep saying you know China has one billion people you know if I, if, yeah, how will I miss one person you know who's foolish enough to give me money 
for my business, right? If you think about, you know, the U.S. has around about what? How big is your population? 325 million? 325 million, right? So all you have to have is um, the ability to tell your story, to talk, to knock doors, you know, not to give up uh, and, and, you know, to understand what the global market wants in terms of being investable, right? But if you focus too much on the local equation, then your resources are limited, the competition is high, mm-hmm. some, and the competition comes at an advantage or disadvantage. So basically, I've learned how to survive without money, and I've learned how to like stage myself for global relevancy than, than just saying this is like where I'm going to raise capital from. So I can see on your website, um, you have like 24 million worth of digital transactions processed. So how long have you been doing Asilimia for? Mm, It's been, officially, it's been from February 1st last year. So it's been a year of like being in the public arena. Uh, A year before that, there was like a lot of uh, R&D, market research, sleeping at K1, you know, and (laughs) so, so yeah, so the company has, um, has been there for uh, for a minute because... Um, there's a lot of learnings like there's a lot of learnings I had to learn there's like a lot of in inconsistencies as I said one minute you have like a team of 10 and the next day you're just looking at yourself and, and this code you've been left with and you have no idea what the hell it means so yeah so that's how long we've been and you can see that um, you can use it in supermarkets like Nakumat, Naivas, Tuskies so how does it work <laughs> when I go there? so but, um, in that regard, uh, if you okay, you didn't start from like the top of the. Website, I did start. But, <laughs> but uh, so basically, what we said is we unlocked the Mpesa infrastructure as is, right? So Nakumat has a tail number. Yeah. Uh, Uchumi has a tail number. Um, so we basically were giving you cash back for interacting with businesses across the board. That's why we talked about freedom in our in our values in our mantra, because you have to feel that you have scale when you have our application, where it's not limited, where you can have that has satisfaction of the cashback and free personal transactions. So that's why we have those logos. So we haven't done direct partnerships. Mm-hmm. We've just said, if you like going to Nakumat, why should we limit you and say we should go only for this small business that can only give you discounts on manicure and you barely have the nails for that, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and... Um Say for example, Safaricom makes M-Pesa free tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? But here you are running a marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you've seen some trends or spotted business opportunities that you may want to um, exploit, I guess, mm-hmm. but maybe it's out of your scope. So are there any that you can name um, mm-hmm. if there's no or there's no need for Selimia tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Because you'll find that over the years, you know, companies like Kodak end up being disrupted or, you know, Nakumat ends up bankrupt. So mm-hmm. if there's no Asilimia tomorrow, is there any sort of trend or mm-hmm. business opportunity that you'd like to engage cool. in, I guess? Ah, cool, cool, cool. Um, so there's... So there was the business I was doing before Asilimia and, you know, I, um, as I told you guys about my background, at some point I used to sell jeans in uh, at, at the Junction Mall, so uh, that was my 8 to 5, right? So my family became the guys who sell in shops at Junction, the parapet guys, the security guys, the, the waiters at Java, at Cafe, and I... 
those guys are stuck you know they're stuck in those jobs i i just happen to be stupid enough to to like try things um and you know i i came out of being um I used to sell jeans. I came up with an idea at some point of doing digital maps for public buildings. So you go to junction, you need to know like where you, you can get X or Y or Z. So we build a, a mobile, uh, not a mobile application. Okay, it had a mobile application, but we ran it on a task screen. So we had a, like a big ass task screen and we categorized or we cataloged all the products and the businesses. So you'd go there and search for black jeans and you'd see where the jeans is and, and there would be ads running there. And we did that for two years. So I I um, had my boss invest in the business. So at that point, I had like an Israeli boss who was like running the businesses and gave me money. So six months into working at the shop, I had a company, two years failed miserably, two ahead of our time. And thereafter, I was like, okay, uh, I had transitioned. Uh, my friends didn't, right? My friends didn't transition from selling jeans or being waiters or still there. Up to today, they're still there. But their responsibilities increased, right? They got they got babies. They got you know mm. married and 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 the and the capital and, and and in those jobs your your salary doesn't increase increase mm-hmm. it never does uh, the skills you're exposed to don't improve uh, you don't get any form of training right. um, and when you know when uh, Westgate happened you know my friends lost their uh, their jobs because we used to have shops there when you get employed by somebody new he doesn't say you have ten years of experience of selling jeans mm. he will still pay you shitty like you never worked a day of your life and 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 as such I'd start, I started a platform called sidehustle.ca.ke and the whole idea was um how to how to move how to create you know movement in this uh, blue collar job sector is you have to give them money you you know you have to introduce in- improvement of income because most of them are around about a hundred dollars seventy dollars and and so what you can do is they have they have a lot of free time so they work in shifts so there are guys who work in the morning the guys who work at night mm-hmm. so you just need to kind of create economic activity at, at those free times so that is what I was working on uh, I did didn't want to position myself as an NGO. I didn't want to play the the sell them as you know still that dignity to kind of raise capital uh, on, on that. And so I couldn't figure out like where the money was. You know, I tried to do a couple of um, we did a couple of pilots at Strathmore. So Strathmore has a lot of women. All the all the cleaners at Strathmore are women, and and they work on the same shift concept. So we found some women who are like hairdressers or could learn hairdressing, and then we have the student population give them jobs and they're free uh, they could just actually go and wash clothes for the student population and they're free and that kind of uh, skyrocketed their income from a hundred dollars to 200 to 300 and that and that led to them investing in other things that they would do that would remove them from um, from these jobs and I decided to do Asilimia because I saw a clear exit I, I saw a clear line of profit and as such if Asilimia doesn't exist then I would focus on you know uh, activating or creating movement in the blue collar job sector where our security guards don't guard us for like 10 years and never really mm. move or you know uh, I, used ex- I used to use example of Strathmore where the guard who protects you when you're in first year is still a guard when you get your second job right you know and you and you and your life has improved, but yeah. these guards, their lives never improved. So I would want to like 
focus on that and and and, and find and find ways of um i do know how, how to do it i just need to like find a way of like making money without like put it on putting it on them or putting it on someone else and 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 such that's what i would want to focus on maybe just to the both of you um you spoke a lot about for example uh house helps or domestic managers not being able to grow their skills yes. for people in blue collar jobs like waitresses mm-hmm. or watch guards um I guess, how do you guys learn and grow? Like, are there any books that you read, any tutorials? What's your learning process like? And I know you said you attended school. You didn't finish. (laughs) Attended. (laughs) Attended. You showed up. Uh, But I guess life is about continuous learning, right? So how do you learn new things or unlearn, if anything? Ah, that's a good question. Um, I guess uh, depending on what, or depending on the nature of what it is. So, as, as a developer, I spend a lot of time learning and seeing what the new things are in computer science in the computer science space. Uh, and at that point, there are what is it? There's a lot of. Thankfully, there's a large ecosystem of helping one another. Um, Stack Overflow is a godsend. Um, <laughs> and like, so you kind of, so you sit. I mean, truthfully, it's learning. It, it's actually, it's like a very specialized use of Google. I'm not even gonna lie. Um, of lear- knowing what, like, knowing the keywords and key terms of how to plug it into Google, such that you can get out the results that you need from Google. That will like be like. Oh, this is a tutorial on how to set this up. It's like, oh, okay, well, we're doing it. And then applying that tutorial or whatever it is to the particular use case that we have. Um, yeah, that's that is the, that's really how I learn a lot of things <laughs> um, in the computer science space. Uh, other kind of things, I don't. Uh, yeah, other kind of things. I don't know. I really, I, I've, I like books and I try to read them when I get a chance to. Um, and I really like history too. And right now I'm like learning about these like black soldiers from like World War One that like yeah. fought in America or fought for America in France. <laughs> um, and that has just that's been a nice cool experience um, and so yeah that's how I learned how about you Taquani yeah me I have a, a learning dysfunction so um, <laughs> as, 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 no for as, real as, no no no, no. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah so I, I am a biased reader so I'm, I'm, I'm very dumb in a lot of things I, I, I am very bad at small talk um so I read a lot of like good business books. I read a lot about like you know uh, different kind of companies where they started from, what they did, business models across the world. I am an avid uh, reader of you know Harvard Business Review from the latest one to the first one. You know that's all I read every day, all day. Um, my entertainment as well is biased, so I'll watch things around business, uh, documentaries or series. Um, again, he mentioned specialized uh, Google so I, I, I use Google a lot I watch um, I'm not I'm not very good on tutorials because I um, my attention span is very limited but I read I prefer reading stuff so I uh, I read a lot of books on different topics 
I have changed my bias reading just because I've mentioned about global relevancy, raising capital outside of Kenya. I realized that there is such a thing as Kenyan speak and you don't hear it or you don't understand it. And it's not just, it's not the accent. It's it's how we sell ideas. It's how we talk to talent. It's how we, we, we champion causes. And that has a disadvantage for you if you're going to talk to international talent. Uh, you're going to talk to a diverse group of talent. If you're going to like raise capital to somebody who has never had the Kenyan speak. Could you give an example of Kenyan speak just for our listeners? Maybe you can deconstruct what exactly it is. Well, that's a hard one. Um, yeah. I think the example I like to use, if you tell an American, give me a, go get me the uh, paper bag, right? They tell you to hand me the paper bag that's on the table. He will look for a bag made of paper, right? Um, that's not what you said. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, what we mean to him is plastic bag, right? Because our, our English is British, yours is. Um, and then a different example is um, so his culture, which has been what I've like been trying to like understand, because um, that's where you can kind of get cal- uh, capital from SF, and you know. That's why there's like people are crazy about like shooting money. Uh, <laughs> it's they're they what they call a salesmanship culture, right? You're you're supposed to be selling. You're supposed to be propping up your personality. You're, it's about it's about the fluff, you know. And and then you go there and you tell the world, you know, I'm I'm, I'm ish and a you know in a bag of chips. <laughs> and in Kenya, if you speak flamboyantly, you you sound like a con man, right? You know, yeah. if, you, if you talk about how you're you're achieving Shama. stuff and doing things. <laughs> You know, you mm-hmm. people are like boss. Uh, so a lot of us like to say the Kenyan speakers najaribu. Mm-hmm. You know, you. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just trying. You know, I'm, 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 you know, surviving, I'm hustling. Nikotu. You know, you know, I'm just doing this small thing. You know, you uh, majority of us barely know what jobs our friends do or how well their businesses is doing because, you know, we are very conservative in our language when it comes to describing our skill sets, our value addition, our businesses. We, we use the passive language. You know, it's like, can you? Could you? Then they say, do you know your your language is very, it's not passive. It's, it's, it's very active. it's very active. It's very forward. You know we are doing this this year. Mm. Us, you're like maybe we're going to. We want to. We, we are want to. to. We are trying to. So yeah, it's so true. <laughs> so when you talk, I need to stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so so when you talk to an American investor and you use passive language, he 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 perceives that to be to mean you're not passionate. You don't oh. care about the business. you there's nothing big about it. You know, and because they're used to being sold in that way, so their their ear has been tuned to that kind of selling. And, and and when you're on the deal table, when you're pitching, nobody's aware of that, right? The American investor is not aware of that thing. Like if you call it out, it doesn't, because it's it's very natural. It's very, it's a nuance. So basically, I've had to start reading books on you know charisma can be taught because that's charisma. You know, Americans love charismatic folks. You know, you have to have that you know flair. You know, uh, I've been watching a lot of. TED Talks, not because I care about the content, but I care about like how they sell. You know, if if you look at uh, most TED Talks, there's a lot of flamboyance. You know, and. Mm. And so that's when I stopped being biased in my reading, and then I'll start like learning a, a skill set that I need to have if I'm going to champion for my cause. And because you're constantly selling to two people, right? And it's human capital and capital, right? You need to go to Stanford and make 90% of the people listening to you want to like pack their bags and come to work for you for free in Kenya, because they have also 
the same ear you know if you if you don't do that whole showmanship right then they think that it's a small idea you're working on and it barely impacts anyone and why should we care so that so that's when i stop having a biased a biased reading of just reading the business business uh, business books and business concepts and then i start learning about like you know how to how to how to not have a Kenyan uh, Kenyan speak mm. and just in that line of thought um have you encountered any challenges raising funding from african investors um because obviously people say that they're more interested in like real estate and not mm. startups um what's been your main challenge because the money is in san francisco but you know people have pockets of wealth i think it's just how they choose to or where they choose to distribute it um what do you think i mean what what has your experience been i think we okay we need to stop blaming african investors or Kenyan right. investors because yeah. the reality is uh all the money that we see is new money whether it's old money it's still new money right mm-hmm. the person who has money today that they can lose they still remember what poverty looks like exactly you know they yeah. they they lived in it it was you know it was was a was was live and live in color you know and 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 when you come from abject poverty or abject lack of you know you you respect the thing that gave you that saved you you know anything you did when you were, you had like abject poverty and it gave you it removed you from that you respect it to no extent you know it becomes it becomes a mini god right whether it was farming that made you buy your fast car or or become a person you know because the reality in Kenya is if you don't have money you're not a person right you know a friend of mine used to say uh, that uh, the difference between a broke person and a dead person is that you breathe right you know because these money means a lot you know and, and it doesn't mean it it, it it money doesn't mean in the terms of consumerism you know mm-hmm. it means in terms of coming through for everybody that is in your family right and 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 when you don't have it you know you you, you don't play a role in your family you don't play a role in your friends because your friends do come to you and say I have a wedding you can contribute there's Our a health funeral. there's yeah. a health fund you know and so money means a lot to us right and 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 the first time somebody can be reliable in their family they are not about to disrespect or disregard the thing that gave them the money and then after that there's like that fear of losing it you know because in Kenya we have you moving from a hundred to zero is very easy, right? You know, we have seen right. Nakumad, and Nakumad brought down in, let us even talk about the number of businesses, the amount of people who have become poor and they weren't is big and nobody discusses that. So you find the people that have money, they're not old money, they're new money. Mm. And the fear of going back is real, you know, in Kenya you can become broke and unfortunately most most of us make money at a later age. Like you don't make money when you're like 20s, you make it in your late 30s, late early 40s. And if you if you lose it when you're like early late 30s, you can't come back to the game. It's very hard. Right? You you know you you stayed away from the job market for too long, so you're not really relevant, you're expensive, uh, you can't get a loan, your friends can't give you money that because they can't lose money as well, right? So coming up with a hat trick again becomes very, very difficult. So 
Kenyan, Kenyan investors, we can't benchmark them to American or European investors. Family offices are like generational. You know, it's they can't remember even where the money started from, mm. right? They have like a picture of an old guy who they barely, they, they barely remember him, right? Mm. You know, you, they barely know who he is. Right? Yeah. And you find those people who give those money, they have no idea what it is to like luck. Mm-hmm. So there, there's, there's what you call intergenerational wealth, right? The West has intergenerational wealth. And and even the current setting they have, they do have their problems, but they still don't have to, they don't fall back far down if they lose a million dollars on an ambiguous startup in Kenya, mm-hmm. if they were able to write the check in the first place. I'm about to say, okay. <laughs> no, you don't have a million dollars. No, you, you don't have a million dollars to like write, but if a guy like uh, Kuchna and the likes, you know, like there's, like there's so many layers, like by the time they start doing the, the deals that they do, there's so much, you know, you know, when they do the, the grants and the foundations, there's so much tax breaks they get that they really didn't actually give real money was mm. what they're going to pay as tax, right? So we can't really expect the same and we can't benchmark that because yeah. we have to go to them and tell them you're not just supporting me and my crazy idea because it is wrong. Asilimia is my cause. It's not theirs. And the reality is it will take around about five to ten years before they see a return of investment. Mm. So why should I risk whatever little that they made or much that they made for my cause? Because it's going to be my cause. I'm going to get money from my company, right? All I'm going to give them is rudimentary shares. That means something or nothing, depending on what happens, right? So we can't really... I I, I can't say... I can't say I blame them. I, you know, I can't say that I expected as much unless I have a clear plan. You know, I have to have a clear, clear plan on the short-term gains and the long-term gains because, you know, when you, what, how, how it happens in, you know, Silicon Valley and, you know, generally the Wall Street and the, the Nasdaq, there's a whole industry, you know, there's a whole industry where in, in Silicon Valley, if you find a startup, you give them seed capital immediately because when you're at zero, it's very easy to go to one, to two, to three, to five, to 10, mm-hmm. right? So, so people tend to invest based on traction, based on the idea, based on the team. So when you get a little bit of money at seed and within one year, you have like 100,000 users, you have a four cents of growth. And then there's a guy who comes in after seed. So he's a series A guy. Mm-hmm. So he buys out the the seed guy at 5x or 10x or whatever x it is so this guy who gives seed gets an immediate return and then the series A guy pushes the company to another level right mm-hmm. and then the series B guy comes in and, and buys out so you find there's a whole value chain so you have guys who want to make money in the Bay Area but they're not innovators they don't know how to come up with good ideas they don't have big capital so what they do is just they play it safe but they get guys who if I give you 100,000 you will have a very big impact because it's days zero of your business Mm -hmm. so you can hire an engineer you can have an office space you can do the things that make you look like a viable business but in Kenya currently there's no that value chain so a guy can give you money at seed but you might not find somebody who's interested to buy him out at series A Mm -hmm. so his money is stagnant so it can't go so if you go watch uh, you should watch
watch Y Combinator classes on investors, right? So guys like um, Aston Kutcher and guys who started companies like uh, Justin TV, they become millionaires because of that rinse repeat process. You do a seed round, you make sure you position the guy for uh, for Series A investment. You come out of the company. Nobody gets to the Nasdaq. Nasdaq is now the PE funds. So the PE funds are like a barrage, you know, they are big money. And you've seen that in Kenya. So an, an, an example of that has been the two companies is called ECP, Margin Capital. So there are VC and you have Fanisi Capital. So there's a there's a pharmacy called, um, it's called Good Life. Good, Good Life. Life. When it was bought, it was called Mimosa. They had only two, three branches. All of a sudden, you see Good Life all over the place, right? Mm. Uh, and, 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 when, and then ECP comes in and puts in a little bit of money and what happens is you shoot the revenue. So when you open a branch, you don't necessarily open because it makes business sense. It just means you can collect one more dollar out of South B that you didn't have. Mm. And then you position that to another bigger fund which is like, imagine um, a branch. A branch will come and just take it to the next level and that's when you start seeing a company being in Uganda. So it's the same thing that happened to Java, right? Java is a small company. All of a sudden you start seeing them in South B, in Nakuru, and so they're positioning it for sale. So VCs or PEs buy uh, investing you for five years, five to three years. And the whole idea is they give you money, you put it in a gun, and you just shoot. So it's about spend, 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 spend. Then you shoot up the revenue, you create artificial demand, somebody else buys up. But for startups, it's not yet that mature that you have a value chain. So you'll have to have, so Kenyan investors could be seed investors, but you have to have the Series A guy and the Series B guy mm. to like liquidate them. So because there's that stagnation of flow, mm-hmm. of, uh, of deal flows, you can't expect them to give. Like even in Silicon Valley, they don't do it because of altruistic reasons. They do it because they know there's an idiot who's going to see the revenue and the traction is going to give you money. Mm-hmm. right? And then you say, the terms it says, I have to liquidate at Series A. So that's basically, that is why we can't fault them. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, does this mean we are through the podcast? Sorry? I wanted to ask a question on imposter syndrome, but I don't think it applies here because, mm. <laughs> you know, imposter syndrome is like when you doubt yourself when you're going into a project, blah, yeah. blah, but maybe for a developer's person, I don't, Tekwane, do you have imposter syndrome? No. What do you mean? I think, <laughs> what is that? What is yeah. that? <laughs> Personally, I think anyone can have imposter syndrome. Yeah, it, yeah. it depends. It's, because there's something you said, personally, you don't have the qualifications to be doing what you are doing. But you still do. But you're still doing it. I really admire it. So it can yeah, affect yeah, anyone. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it's it's something that happens to people who are visionaries. Self-doubt. Or, or rather dreamers. Yeah. Of which all coders are. You're like We are literally always creating something that doesn't exist. So mm. that's why it's very common in coders. But I think it can happen even to an investor. Like when you're starting on a, on a business, you're like, I want to make him pesa free. Now it might seem like you're shooting for the moon. So it's But you can, you can get in post syndrome in that yeah. I think I think in 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 my space it's um there's a game to be played in as an entrepreneur you know there's there's beyond the business plan beyond the working hard at night the beyond the, the doing what you know you're supposed to do the, there's the there's the sideshow you know there's a sideshow of you know what do investors want to see what do they want to hear and 
there's me who as a person stands for X and Y and Z and and the imposter is in my definition is when I have to play that game, right? When I forget and, and I and I tell uh, I tell my girlfriend this is me, I'm a guy for shags, you know. Me, I'm, 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 guy on the street. I am your guy for kibanda, you know. Very polite. Uh, that's my background, right? And, and, and it is not, it is not what people see, right? It's not people who talk about, you know. People use words like a visionary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just that guy, right? And, and and I tell my girlfriend the thing that I should, we should always remember, and I should remember is never to forget who I am, right? Because. We, we go into spaces that are not controlled, you know, our work environment is controlled, you know, we control the culture, the, the values, the what we stand for, but we go into other spaces, you know, I say they had like two weeks, the, the, this whole month, you know, I had a week in Kigali, I had a week um, in a conference, and, and the themes in both conferences were different, you know, the, the, the last conference that I ended yesterday was impact investment and social enterprise, and that is about Kumbaya, save the world let's let's do things for our return of investment for a return of good feeling and and the tech summit was you know let's make a business around tech and and and, and you have to change for both spaces right and and for me unfortunately i don't know how to change right so in the impact uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the in the impact investment space i'll say yeah 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 kumbaya blah 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 and they ask me what am i doing there and i'm like yeah i just thought i'd come and learn something uh so it's it does happen, you know, it does happen to when, when, especially when you either start getting titles or you're the CEO, so you're the leader and you're the visionary and, and all this BS, you're told this is how you're supposed to act or you think that's how you're supposed to act and, and all of a sudden everything be beyond the day you changed everything past the day you changed starts being a blur. You forget you slept at K1. Now you start saying hi was like your Machiavellian trick and you know like yeah. you, you start your, you weave it, yeah. Yeah, your story start changing, changing when you meet yeah. fellow entrepreneurs who are like upcoming you start giving them uh, watered down pep talk. Mm. Well this guy just needs money. You know, he doesn't need to give, give him money right? you yeah. know, and, 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 and as such yes it does and I think the for you not to have it, you have to have, you have to be in touch with the thing that reminds you of where you came from. You, Your why? The, the mind, the yeah. mind is easily impressionable, right? And and then and the, the weird thing about the mind is it lies to you that it was always like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it wasn't, right? You know, it, it just keeps, keeps like yeah, it was my own idea, right? It is, it's, it's, it's who I am, but it isn't. So what you have to do is you have to be intentionally aware. You have to be close to what reminds you, you know, what keeps you in check. She used to be my grandma. Um, Fortunately, she passed on, and it's you know, it's about go- for me. It's about going to sharks. It's going home, and you know, life slowing down, and talking to that cow, and being like, ah, how are things going, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, and then again, being vocal about things, even when you're not supposed to be vocal, because you, you, and then the times I'm more talking to myself, because it reminds you, you know, and then people remind you after they realize you're this kind of person. They'll always ask you, they'll always refer you to Y X, and then at that point, they chuck you out. Out of the the almost change in personality you're about to have. And maybe for you, Julian, how do you beat imposter syndrome when you're doing your stuff? Oh goodness! Ah, that's I don't know. That's that's very that's very difficult. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. That's very difficult because I feel like at at the at university, it's kind of it's just that's what it is all the time. Yeah, more more or less. Yeah, and especially also not so much with this job hunt, but any kind of job hunt before because a lot of the company in Silicon Valley um, have they have like they have like on-site coding interviews um, where it's all like you and the interviewer in the room and they're like, okay, so now we're gonna implement a heap allocator. Go. I'm <laughs> like the whiteboard, and it's just like, oh, okay, it, it's it it is difficult. I mean, I don't know, like p- practice and like self confidence. I don't even I don't know what what is the more practical because I think I definitely I definitely do have it, but I guess it's I really I guess the main thing is that recognizing that it's there, but not letting it keep you from going for it. Exactly. Okay. Um, yeah, that's probably all I can say about. And what have you learned? since you've come to Kenya? What have I learned since <laughs> I've come to Kenya? Yeah, Rice maybe a word. Rice is not in a pocket. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in a... <sighs> Do you know any Kenyan words so far? What is the largest, what is the greatest culture shock? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so okay, actually, so the greatest culture shock actually yeah. is that one, so when I was looking at like the weather to come here, it's all like, this is like summer weather back in the United States, and I'm like, oh, okay, so like people wear shorts, and they do all this, <laughs> nobody wears shorts. Everyone's and in a suit. Like, yeah, and I'm all like, guys, it's like really hot, so like I wore jeans for like the first couple days, because I mean, I brought a couple, but then like after that, I was like, okay, guys, I gotta wear my shorts. What have you eaten? Um, so I've had uh, what is it? What was it? What's it called? Matumbo. 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 Oh, it's like tripe. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically tripe. Yeah, yeah. So we, I mean, so we eat something similar in America, uh, or well, we we also, I think we eat tripe. But I don't know if my family personally makes tripe, but we eat this other thing that they're called. Have you heard of chitlins? <laughs> Um, Chatland, no. Yeah, yeah. There, it's like um, it's like a, it's like intestine stuff. Mm. It's pretty good. Uh, so that was pretty. That's good. Um, and if there's, I guess, one problem. I know Africa. We have many problems. <laughs> Is there something you've seen that? you think can be solved or just you know for example for me um it's transport like i really wish i pray that that we can one day just have subways and be able to access different places across kenya easily much quicker like for you is that something that you've observed um let's like uh or maybe observe or maybe like anecdotally i think Mm -hmm. i think it's um in in America, we're very we are very like capitalism focused, and like, and I think that now we're very much trying to like pull back a little bit because it's, it's just it's gotten to the point where it's, it's becoming like the very rich and like not not everybody else but like the very rich and kind of like the people are that are that are not very rich or like not they don't have enough to survive um and it's like crazy that that's the case because america we're the richest country in the world and so like that that there shouldn't be people who go hungry and do this thing but they, that that does happen um in america um and i would say that 
here, as much as I would complain about the capitalism in America, I would say that the the degree here is actually higher, which is hard, <laughs> which is hard to say, or which is hard to believe. Yeah. Um, in that, I think that there's like the main like, or one of the main things that I was very keen on that very moved me was the, was I think the level of like income disparity, um, and things, and how because so like in America we have a minimum wage that is supposed it's supposed to be good, it's not, and we need to like get it better, but like that there maybe aren't as many safeguards and infrastructures for things like that. And so you can have people that are very rich, able to pay people like that, that, that they themselves are very rich and could, but, but still pay people very little, um, which to me makes me very sad. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that would probably be the, the, like one of the main thing that's really touched me. So thank you. But also transport, because I love trains and Japan. I was in Japan and Japan has so many trains. Mm. Like, why can't there be trains right. um. <laughs> Who needs a car? Yeah. <laughs> Another thing is, what is the one misconception you had that was yeah. completely overturned once you got here? Okay, like the one, the one misconceptions that I had that was completely... Mm-mm-mm. Um... Let's about Tekwane. <laughs> no, uh, let's see. I think one of the one of the big misconceptions that I had is that oh, okay, okay. Um, so I mean, so in America and at Stanford, we have people who come there who are from, like I know I know people from Kenya, which is kind of also how I found out about this um, and things like that. And back home, we spend a lot of time talking about identity and what it, and we spend a lot of time talking about identity and like uh, and in America because the, because in America we're going through this thing to where there are before like in the past in America if you were black if you had black skin you was black and that mm. was just that's what that's what happened and we all had to sit at the back of the bus and like it, there was no special spot for the Nigerians or the Kenyans or mm-hmm. whatever right and now that that has not been a not that 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 kind of racism that kind of in your face like same space same kind of whatever you have to associate is not as strong there's a lot more there's a lot of people who come to America who are like, I mean, who are Nigerian first or Kenyan first, and then it's and then black is like something on the back burner of their mind. And that's a lot of the question. That's a lot of the conversations that we have at mm. um, at school with the Kenyans over there. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh, so that means that all Kenyans feel like that. And I come here and people are like, like who is about to say that they're not black? With this? Right. Like what are what are you talking about? And so that that to me was a nice um, refresher that there is a sense of. Or there is more of a sense of like a, I guess in a way it's like pan Africanism I guess yeah um, than than what I thought like consciousness yeah exactly, exactly yeah exactly and what do you think about I mean just I guess being um, African American yeah yeah um, events like Afrotech mm-hmm. um, that are mainly focused towards you know like bringing collaboration amongst people who are black in mm-hmm. tech or colored in tech mm-hmm. um, well, yeah what are your thoughts on that yeah no I think that they are I think that they are very good. I think that they're, um, yeah, I think, I think that they're very good. I, I would only want to see like, kind of like more things. I think that one of, I think the the main, like maybe one of the main critiques that I think I have of like Afrotech is that many of the businesses and things like that, that I've seen there are 
very um, maybe mm, not that they're too specialized, but uh, maybe in a way like let's see, maybe they are a little bit, in my opinion, too specialized. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, we're gonna like make something and that like that super specialized cater cater caters to like black people, which is like really cool and really awesome. But it's all like, well, no, like I just want to work. I just want to have like an Uber that's just run by black people. Like, let's just do that, like yeah. or something like that, like where it's like an all black team that doesn't necessarily have to do like the be black whatever you know what I'm saying right um cause I cause I cause I that, that's one of the biggest things is that like every one of the ideas Uber or whatever Amazon what, whatever it is like that could be and should be pioneered by black people um and the problem thus far is that the people who have pioneered just don't prioritize um access to communities and like and have uh, access to communities and like other people and like taking into account um, other people's lived experiences whereas I think here um, I mean whereas I think that if you have an all black team that's pulling off something like that like there you can just make things that are great for everybody and that just work for everybody right off the bat right so yeah oh that's that's, that's really cool and um, would you say that the challenges of getting black people to study software engineering or to work in tech mm. do you think because I think for example in Nairobi it's that access to finance mm. just being exposed access to a laptop like in your experience um, you grew up loving robotics mm. and you watched um, what is it iRobot yes. and I mean I, I think I guess is it like yeah like what's is there anything being done to get people black people specifically interested in tech um, what do you think the challenges are or in your view how can they overcome those challenges I think ah that's that's tough I think for us it's main in America it's mainly like there's there is there is frankly a stereotype about like people who do tech yeah. um, in America which which I mean just affects minority especially affects women um, mm. just really badly and it's really weird because I was actually doing um, or I saw an article that was talking about like in before like in the 1950s to be a they called it they used to call it, the title was a computer like you were a human computer right and that was a woman's job like through and through in the 1950s. And then like by the 70s, when it came around, they were all like, oh, well, if you're gonna be doing like these coding things, like you gotta be this super nerdy white guy that like sits in the back and just codes and does all of this kind of stuff. Um, and like that kind of image has just like perpetuated and been and become a self-fulfilling prophecy more mm-hmm. or less um, because that there are so many people that I know who can do coding, who can do engineering, just in general, um, but because they are not the stereotype, they, it's like, oh, well, I'm not gonna do this or I'm not gonna do whatever it is, um, which is frustrating <laughs> because, I mean, because there is, there is uh, oh, it's frustrating because what ends up happening is that at school, so like I said, so I, I really like our program at Stanford because I think it does an incredible job at taking you from zero to whatever but if, if you've never had the chance in high school or whatever to do it and you go to college most of the college level like classes they're not meant for you go from zero like they're, they're meant for you already coded and you know what this is and you know how to deconstruct this statement and like and they're like oh you because you did this in high school and I'm all like no mm-hmm. I, I didn't do this in high school mm-hmm. um, and I 
think that that is that's like the main kind of problem is that there's not an easy level of access to where like the the assumption is that you've already done it and you already know um, instead of actually being on teaching which is a shame because we spend so much money in America on mm, teaching us yes and they and they're all like we well, you know you should already know and I'm all like well then what am I paying for you know, yeah 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 so that's what I so you're done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe final thoughts or yeah. maybe it's a parting shot that you like to our listeners to hear. Maybe where they can reach you on social media or yeah. Oh, what? Or rather, <laughs> we, we, we use letters, you know, you can uh, send us a letter. Yeah. Uh, P.O. Box. P.O. Box. <laughs> yes, Post, email postal code. You know, we, need, we need time to catch up with you. Uh, we need time for you to catch up with us. Uh, or maybe someone who wants to ask you a question. Well, can they reach you or send you yeah. an email? Shekwane Mwenwe, you know, just uh, Google Shekwane Mwenwe is the one and only. You know, uh, <laughs> find me on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter and so forth. Asilimia has a page and social media mm-hmm. uh, the company I think there is a contact us page I think on the website mm. yes there is uh, the app is coming out again at the end of the month uh, so basically they will be, just google us and you know Julian Brinson you know yeah that's true I'm um, Julian with an E J-U-L-I-E yes yeah and we're out we're doing this out of iHub so we're always like around Kilimani Kilimani so yeah so um Parting short is I think what was I gonna say? I don't really like saying like significant <laughs> statements. <laughs> it's funny. Um uh, but yeah, but just I think just knowing the tech ecosystem for a while is I think more we need to ask ourselves, demand more from ourselves. Uh, and what that means is, you know, to to play a pivotal role in shaping the ecosystem. You know, um, Silicon Valley, one of like the one of the significant uh, one of the companies or one of the things that happened that unlocked, you know, what is Silicon Valley today is. They usually say yeah, it was a place that uh, the army or the government gave tenders for army software and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But it's really not that much as a company called Atari. Uh, the it's Atari or Atari? Atari. 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 Video game company. Yeah, so the yeah. video game company. So it was a bunch of nerds who made games good enough to be bought by Warner Brothers, like, and they made a lot of money and they created a culture where you know that money went to into building other startups and and so. Forth. I think it is not to go at it alone. It, uh, one of the biggest challenges I find with uh, developers, all of you want to be freelancers or you want to do your own thing vis-a-vis joining you know, a non-technical founder or something that already works and just giving it your all to just have that one exit that will lead to you know a hundred guys coming out of that with a million dollars and going to invest in other things because the learning curve is steep whether you know uh, whether you're like a good developer and a non-technical developer you'll go through the same challenges 
uh, in our market, it's slightly small and uh, not as dynamic. You know, guys who build in France or in the U.S., you get you get MTN or you get you know you get Orange France giving you a tender. You know, you get big companies giving you the opportunity to use your tech. You know, uh, a startup in France. You know, uh, one of my co-founder works for. You know, they have a WFP World Food Program tender. That means they're supplying their products across. Uh, in Kenya, uh, Safaricom will give the Play Store application aggregation to a random Japanese company to do an a- API payments integration that a local company could do. Uh, PayPal, they use TransferWise, while you know um, Chura could have done that. So unfortunately for us, we don't have a big, uh, like the big players are not giving the small players work. Wait, is that what happened to Chura? Uh, yeah, so oh, so you, so the big players are not working with the small players, mm. right? And 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 when and that happens, that means you won't get cash flow anytime soon, right? Because yeah. without cash flow, then what are you doing, right? You have the best tech, uh, you have a little bit of funding, but you need cash flow. So uh, our market is very hostile. Uh, it's a small population. Uh, slightly, um, it's not homogeneous as well. I wish it was small and homogeneous. So there needs to be more collaboration in the space. Because <laughs> everybody is busy, but I don't understand what they're busy doing. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's people need to stop being busy and and come together and not, you know, uh, just to, as you've mentioned about my job, I had been out there and people taking hits on a random company they do not know, a person they have no idea of, vis-a-vis doing what is needed, which is send a CV, come for an interview, find out what they're doing. So I feel the, the ecosystem will not evolve to anything of significance if we continue being busy and nobody is. We are making money out of like consultancies. You do an app here, get 100K here, you didn't get paid for the last one. That's not false. You know, mm. PayPal Mafia, they went to start YouTube, they went to start LinkedIn, they went and, and that has a chain effect, you know. But guys have to come together once and say there's one big problem that we are both tackling and if the payoff is big, then it will like create a chain effect. You know, the the, the generation of investors that will change the space will be guys who are early in the early the early thirties, late twenties. It's you guys to do the investments. But if you're not making any significant amount of money, all of you you're going to do the same thing old guys did. You're gonna buy a piece of land, you're going to buy up an apartment because you don't have money really. You 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 have a level of richness that allows you to like do a bit of things for yourself. Because right now there is, you know, from all the, I think I've spoken to a lot of good developers, but I don't see the significant thing that they've done with mm. themselves right. after rejecting Asgrimia. Like, they're okay, they're financially okay, but, you know, we could have done a lot more together. Yeah. And, and then I say it with no, um, no hard feelings, just the, the, the reality of things, right? The reality of things is we don't have enough companies in Kenya that are hiring developers. Safaricom will be firing developers because after a while, the innovation gets to a point where they don't need to do any more innovation to make billions. Mm. Yeah, telecom and Airtel, like if you look at the market, you know, the demand for developers is just from SMEs and small businesses mm. and guys who have a dream to pay you a little bit of money but right. uh, in the Bay Area you know getting these guys is, 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 is hard because they have Google trying to do God knows what you have Amazon you know he tells me what he gets paid for an internship in the Bay Area because 
all the companies are heavily concentrated in and, and any small company has a big fund. So it is not even the significance of the, of the startups is the startups have a significant budget mm-hmm. to compete with the big boys. Mm-hmm. Here, neither the big boys nor the startups have a budget for tech. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's either you, you get like it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's get paid in experience. <laughs> and, 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 and you see it's, it's, that is the uh, that situation is going to stay there for a while yeah. right until there's a significant bust because the bust is what's going to ensure the ideas that all you guys are working on has the funding to hire guys right it's it's so we can't be so focused on pay for play when there's no pay mm. right you know uh, and you know I wish you know uh, all the developing CS had a has a had a section for business because I, I don't feel there's like business sense in the ecosystem that kind of justifies pricing uh, opportunity why you say yes to a job why you say no to a job you know and so yeah so the part in short is you know some business sense will say you know let's create the bust because if there's no bust we're just gonna do small things that have a very little impact Julian mm-hmm. cutting short in short um at the end final thoughts uh you know um I think hmm, I think it was very nice to talk to you guys uh I think it's very nice to talk to you guys I think that um as a whole uh Kenyan, Kenya and Kenya developers, the ones that I've worked with at the very least, um, are very good, very great um, people. And I do, and and I, I in final wrapping it up, um, as somebody who is from Silicon Valley and who actually does not, I actually I don't I don't like it because as much the, the one of the things and one of the problems that people have or that that you have there is the reason why people have so much money is because you need so much money in the Bay Area because it's it's such a concentration of big tech between Google and Apple and Facebook and whatever else um, that the people that are trying to live there um, you the people that are trying to live there makes the housing like skyrocket so much mm. um, and, but the real takeaway is, is that there's actually nothing super special about any of the people that are in Silicon Valley they are just as they are just as extraordinary and just as mediocre as anybody else around the world and so mm. the only thing that makes it special is the fact that you do have this um they are they you have investors there that are willing to give money um for sometimes objectionably not good ideas um that are but they're but they are there and they are willing to do that and there is there is no real legitimate reason as to why that is the case um and it's a bit ridiculous um the amount of concentration um of like tech money and tech like investment is just there in silicon valley which is shameful yeah guys so I think I've been hearing recurring topics all through the podcast that we've done and I think that this one is no different so if you pick up a few things that are common in all the other podcasts I'm sure you'll get a trend of, of what is happening in Africa what is happening outside Africa and it's not so different we just need ecosystems collaboration collaboration mm-hmm. and yeah that's just the message yeah so thank you guys for coming thank you guys for taking time to be here and we hope that Asilimia makes waves out there mm-hmm. yeah cool thank awesome. you so much thank Thank you guys. Bye guys. All right.